Well, you're here today. Uh, there's people watching online, and we'll be watching the recording, maybe at another time of the week. But you're here. Uh, but Pew Research and Barna Research, uh, they're they do research on Christian and religious organizations um, all over the world. And they have said, and this is something I think we know, that increasingly uh, people believe that they don't have to go to a church building in order to experience God. Uh, that they can worship God and fellowship with uh, God anywhere. It could be out on the tractor. It could be in the mountains. It could be fishing. Um, and sometimes you hear people say that. You know, like the guy that says, you know, I just like to worship God, you know, when I'm out catching fish. And that, for him, is his church out by the lake or in the river and that sort of thing. But then there's a lot of folks who coming to a place like this is really important that who look at this as a sacred space or like an altar that we were kneeling at earlier today. And I am grateful that we have a building that we can call our own. It's actually, it helps a whole lot than when you're renting, except last night when we had a full house for a concert here, New West Symphony and Chorus, and the women's uh, toilets were not working. And uh, that's when you're, well, even if you're renting, though, it still would be a problem anyway. Um, but uh, so I'm grateful, though, that we have our own property. But when people ask me, and they do ask me, so when I'm in the gym or something like that and say, oh, so you're a pastor, I go, yeah, so where's your church? When I'm in a really uh, tongue-in-cheek mood, I'll say, well, actually, we're scattered all over the city, you know, um, and then I get kind of a quizzical look, but that becomes a way for me to launch into what the true meaning of the church is. Sure, they're looking for an address, you know, 65 or Shardway, Southwest, but really, the church is us scattered around the city. Um, the church is not a place. It is not a building the church is the, it's the people, yeah. Whoever said people, that's it. The church, okay, over here, oh, Lindsay, you, good for you. You get a, you'll get a lollipop later, okay. Um, so, but what people do expect is, is a geographic location or an address. Now, so we often say this, and I say it, you know, are you going to church tomorrow? But, you know, we don't go to church, we are the church. If you're gathering with a couple of Christians having a Bible study in a Starbucks, that's, that is church. Now, that doesn't mean that this is unimportant. I think it has a real functional purpose, and I think it is important. But the quality of the church, okay? So people will say, you know, they walk into a church and they go, oh, I just love your church. It's just so beautiful, and the architecture, and the, uh, you know, and they wax eloquently about it. And I'm like, what we ought to love isn't so much the building or the property or the furnishings. What we should love about the church is its people. To say, oh, I am amazed with your people and the way that you love each other. That's how people will know that we belong to Jesus, right? So God doesn't just manifest his presence in the building or in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. Um, or at Camp Harmattan, our Christian camp in the summer. It, God shows up where his people gather in the name of Jesus. Amen? So, wherever God's people are gathered, in Jesus' name, that's where God can be found, no matter where it is. So, I think most of you would agree that God cares way more about us and our relationships with him 
and with each other than he does about our buildings. Didn't get any amens on that, but that's okay. I think I saw, I saw some head nods in there. Okay, now the COVID-19 lockdown actually reminded us of that. So I remember the Sunday, we had a huge funeral here on the day, uh, well, we had March 8th, 2020, we had a, a church service, and then it was canceled on March the 15th, and we had a funeral on Saturday, March the 14th, it was packed out, and it was a little risky because it was right at the beginning of COVID, and, you know, but uh, we were reminded pretty quickly that it's not about the building. And it wasn't about the programs. How many programs and events were canceled? Like Christian events and pro And so we realized that there's more to the church. And I was a part of a group of pastors. We're being reminded of this week after week after week that we've got to get ready to learn to find different ways of gathering together. We can't depend on the public facility because uh, you just never know. Look at the Ukraine. The church there is, in, uh, is reeling right now trying to figure out what to do. And so it's not about human programs, human traditions, or even events. The church is the people. So does God need a building? You know what he says? This is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It's not on the screen. Heaven is my throne, God says. That's my throne. Earth is my footstool. Couldn't you build me a temple as good as that? You know, even though they had the temple in Jerusalem, God was reminding them, but you know what? I, I, not because I need it. I'm not, looking, I'm not homeless. And so we forget that often, that it's not about the building. It's not about geography until it's taken away. And it was taken away for a couple of years there, or at least a good part of that. So what does the Gospel of Mark have to say about all of this? Well, we're going to look today at an incident uh, in the life of Jesus, known that we often call the cleansing of the temple. And that's, you know, where Jesus went in and he was overturning the tables and driving the merchants out of the temple. It's found in Mark chapter 11. And this is the second message in um, a three-part series on Mark that I want to thank Pastor Trent for uh, putting this series together. Uh, the power of the kingdom we looked at, and then the path of the kingdom, and now the passion, which refers to the suffering of Christ, and we're moving into that uh, part of Mark where we're going to uh, be experiencing what it was like for him to suffer. So this is what it says in Mark 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, so this is the day after Jesus had the triumphal entry, which I preached about last week when he went into the city on the, the donkey. It says, they were leaving Bethany, and Jesus was hungry. He saw a fig tree in leaf, and he went and found out it had no fruit. Nothing but leaves, because it wasn't the season for figs. Verse 14, so he says to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. That seems kind of like an odd thing. Well, the fig tree was a metaphor in ancient Israel. So when a fig tree was, was, um, you know, was leafy and had all kinds of fruit on it and figs and all that kind of thing, um, then this is like what a fig tree would look like. Uh, then that was really a metaphor for Israel and peace and prosperity in, in Israel. And, and a withered fig tree was kind of like God's judgment um, on Israel. And so Mark uses this sort of sandwich bracketing uh, technique, you know, where he tells a little story, and then he has another one in between, and then he has the end of the other story, um, and creates a little bit of a sandwich. Uh, that's called intercalation. I just learned that word this week. I had to look it up. Uh, and uh, so anyway, 
Mark's doing the same thing. So he ta- talks about the fig tree, and you're kind of like, like why, why is he doing this, and why did he curse this tree? And it, it kind of might be like Jesus was hungry. Maybe he's having a little bit of a temper tantrum because he feels entitled, you know, but this is Jesus we're talking about. So there's something going on. So what Jesus is doing, this is like a prophetic action. Prophets in the Old Testament, you'll find even in the New Testament, they often did physical things. They acted out things. And they did things that were often really shocking because they're trying to make a point. Um, and so there's more going on here than meets the eye when you first read it. So cursing the fig tree, really, as we're going to learn, um, was symbolized God's judgment on the temple. Herod's temple in Jerusalem. That, that's what it was signifying. When he cursed that tree, he was sort of saying, uh, God's not happy with what's going on in Herod's temple in Jerusalem. The tree, you know, it's leafy when you're standing far off, and if you don't know that it's not the season for fruit, you go, oh, I can get something to eat. And as you get closer, it deceives you. And he's saying the same thing with the temple. How often do people go to church and they go, ah, there's life there. There's joy, there's peace, there's love. And they show up and they don't find it. How disappointing is it? It's got the appearance. It might have a sign that says all are welcome and they get there and nobody even notices that they're there. And that's kind of what was going on. So now let's look at the next verses. So, verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus enters the temple courts and he starts driving out those who are buying and selling and he overturns the tables of the money changers and so on and does not allow people to carry merchandise through the temple. So this is a picture, an artist's depiction of Jesus driving out uh, the merchants. And then at verse 17 says, And as he taught them, so not only is he doing this action of overturning the tables uh, and and driving people out, he's speaking, and he says this. He quotes the Old Testament, the Scripture. He says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? That was the Scripture that Pastor Trent read for us from Isaiah. For all nations. Nations, can you remember that? The word nations, it's ethnos. That's where we get the word ethnic for every ethnicity. Everybody is welcome here. But you've made it a den of robbers. Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and looked for a way to kill him. They weren't happy. So you, you, you have to ask, you know, what provoked Jesus' anger? And I've been kind of hinting at it. Uh, there's two popular understandings of what Jesus was doing. Some people think uh, that uh, Jesus might have intended to provoke an uprising, like an insurrection, like what happened, you know, January 6, 2020, uh, depending on how you look at that. But a lot of people believe that was uh, a, a, a violent event, and, and uh, it was meant to be kind of like a, a hostile takeover. Um, but that's not what Jesus was doing at all because he would have come in with a mob and the temple priests would have stopped him or tried to stop him and there's nothing in the scriptures that say that. And remember on the night he was betrayed by Judas and and Peter, his disciple, cuts the ear off, takes a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the temple guards and Jesus heals the man, says, put that sword away. Jesus was saying, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not about violence. That's not my kingdom. My kingdom is a kingdom of peace, and it's not going to come the way you think. 
So that's not what he was doing. And the other thing that people think is they think that Jesus, when he said that you've turned this into a den of robbers, that he was attacking commercial enterprise. So, for instance, uh, you'll go to a lot of churches, and we have churches here in this city where you go and they have a bookstore, and you can buy Christian books and, and things like that. And people, oh, that goes against what Jesus was saying. Well, actually, it doesn't. Jesus was not against that sort of thing where you're trying to make things available to people at a reasonable cost and even using the church property uh, to do so. Um, so the fact is there were money changers in the temple. And you might, well, what, who are these money changers? Do you know what happened? Most people were using the Roman coin. But what was the, the, the currency that the people of Israel used? The shekel. And I've actually used a shekel when I was in Jerusalem many years ago. Some of you probably have done that as well. And what you did is when you went to the temple, you'd, ha you'd use like a half shekel or more. And you needed a, so you'd, you'd come with your Roman currency because people lived all over the place and they would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they would come with their Roman coins and then they would have to exchange them at the temple for shekels so that they could buy their birds, their doves, their pigeons and whatever sacrifices and they could do that. And they couldn't bring all that stuff with them because they were traveling long distances on foot or on donkey or on horseback or whatever mode of transportation they had. And uh, to carry all that stuff, you know, just didn't work. Um, and so they would come sometimes empty-handed, and they'd have to come with their money, exchange it, and then they would get all the sacrificial animals and that sort of thing. Um, but what happened, and this is a part of what Jesus was doing, was the vendors that were there, it was kind of like, have you ever gone to uh, Calgary Flames hockey game and try to buy a burger? Like a really bad burger for like, whatever, six bucks? 12 bucks, okay. A, a bottle of water for four bucks or whatever it is. And you just feel like they're gouging you. That's what these people were doing. And it wasn't a fair exchange. What they were doing is they, they were exploiting uh, the, the opportunity. Uh, they were gouging people. There was dishonest business practice there. And so Jesus was condemning that. So, you know, you'd walk in there and there'd be these people barking out, pigeons, pigeons over here, you know, come get your pigeons. And so... That was going on in the temple, um, and Jesus was just saying, yeah, but you're taking advantage of people, and you're being dishonest about it. And so, Jesus isn't saying you can't have a bookstore in a church. That, that, that's kind of like the point here. Uh, but we need to be honest and not uh, rip people off. But what he's condemning was he, was, he was condemning the greed and the corruption of many of those merchants. And he said, you're like a den of robbers. When he called them a den of robbers, so that was a quote from Jeremiah uh, chapter 7. And uh, just a little bit of a quote here. So what happened with the people of Israel? They knew that they were God's chosen people, and they felt very privileged, and they would go, you know what, it doesn't matter how I live, you know, on the other six days of the week, all I have to do is go to the temple, and I can make everything good. You know, and there's religions today that do that, you know. I can live like the devil on six days and I can come and get my, I'll get purified and I'm, I'm okay again because uh, I paid God off. And there, were, there was that sort of thing and they felt safe in the temple. They thought that I come and then the priest makes the sacrifices on my behalf and then everything's okay between me and God and it's like it never happened. And 
He says, hear the word of the Lord, all you people. He says, reform your ways. This is Jeremiah chapter 7. Reform your ways and your actions. Don't trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. I'm safe here. He said, but you steal, you murder, you commit adultery, you perjure, and then you come and stand before me in this house, and you say, we are safe. Has this house become a den of robbers to you? That's Jeremiah chapter 7. And, G- and that's what was going on in Jeremiah's day. It became a hideout for hypocrites. Church sometimes becomes that for people. They kind of go, I go to church, I do church, um, and that somehow absolves us from living <clears throat> in a Christian way the other six days of the week, and it doesn't. So Jesus rebukes these merchants, <clears throat> not quite for hypocrisy, though. So we've got to be careful here. There's a bit of caricature that goes on when we read about the pharisees and the scribes in the new testament and we think like they were all real dirty dogs these guys they were horrible mean people no most of them probably were not even though they didn't believe in jesus and many of them crucified him they actually thought they were doing the will of god look at the apostle paul before he became a christian he thought he was doing the will of god by persecuting christians and he became like one of these people that we love and we read his writings in the new testament and so we, we don't want to demonize these people um unnecessarily now there were some things wrong though so this wasn't quite the same situation in jeremiah but what was happening is they were failing to fulfill god's ultimate vision for the temple there was a purpose for the temple which we're going to see um jesus was disgusted by the greed and exploitation of the merchants but what was worse was this he condemned their false trust in a religious system that was irrelevant. It had come to be irrelevant. Do we ever do that today? Where we trust in traditions, we trust or people might go to a church and they take the Eucharist and they think that all the bad things I'm going to do tomorrow are absolved because I can just come back next week and do this again. There was that kind of a thing going on. And so yeah, there's like a form of hypocrisy maybe that was being encouraged. So Jesus was not trying to reform the temple. Really. He was actually saying the days of the temple, they're done. It's over. It's not about that anymore. And along with that would go the temple sacrifices. So he does all this. They want to kill him because now they're like, he's gone too far now. So we get to verse 19. So that evening, evening comes Jesus and his disciples went out of the city, and in the morning as they're going along, they see the fig tree that Jesus cursed, and it's withered. Take a look at this. You know, that, okay, there, there is a picture of a withered fig tree somewhere. There it is. Anyway, a little scraggly looking. Uh, that's how I'm starting to look. Anyway, but um, anyway, so they, they, they're like, they're amazed that Jesus, that that was kind of like a miracle because that wouldn't just happen that somebody speaks that to the tree and then the next day it's like that um and so jesus is saying the temple sacrifices and all that stuff that's that's done it's over and so they wanted to kill him a few days later okay so go forward a bit fast forward it tells us that jesus and his disciples are back in the temple And this is what it says. This won't be on the screen. Mark chapter 13. Listen to this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, this is a couple days later, one of his disciples says to him, look, teacher. And he's looking at Herod's 
temple. And there's a picture of it right here. This is kind of what it would have looked like. Kind of like that. And back then, that was pretty impressive. And the, the disciples are enamored of this. And they say, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Herod did this. A, a lot of this. He renewed it, restored it. And, he, and they said, the disciples say to Jesus, do you see all these great buildings, Jesus says? He said, you see these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. You know, what's going on in the Ukraine right now is a reminder of some beautiful, beautiful buildings. Many ornate buildings are being destroyed. We've learned that in history, haven't we? But Jesus was predicting the fall of Jerusalem, of, of that temple and the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That was going to happen not too long after this. And they used that information when Jesus talked about the temple and said, you know, not one stone will be left on another. They used that against him at his, at his trial and said, he's trying to destroy the temple. He wasn't physically trying to do anything. So we have to understand what the significance of this beautiful temple was, what it meant to the Jewish people, especially to the elders and the chief priests and all that. Um, the temple was the one place where atonement for sins could be done. Um, so uh, how many of you this week think you might have sinned? Anybody? <laughs> okay, if you barked at your spouse this morning and you didn't apologize yet, you could do that now if you'd like. Anyway, uh, but anyway, here's the thing. Uh, what would happen is the priests would, would make the sacrifices on behalf of the people. The great high priest once a year would go in on the Day of Atonement and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and do all this stuff. But the temple was really the place where that happened. Um, to the legalistic scholars, uh, that, was, that was the place. You had to go to the temple. Um, and Jews... Many Jews, and the Jewish scholars believe that the most effective place to pray was either towards the temple, physically, where you would orient yourself towards it, or you would go to the temple. And that's why people would make pilgrimage. Say that that's, God's going to hear you better if you go there. That's like our church camp. You're, you're better baptized if you get baptized in the river at Camp Harmattan. Isn't that right, Trent? Anyway. Uh, but but we, that's not true, but that's kind of what we sometimes think. And we make much about the place. They thought that Jerusalem was the gate of heaven. And for a while it kind of was on earth. But Jesus is saying that day's gone. Um, and so Jesus was basically saying, I'm going to show you a new and a living way. Okay, the old order is gone. There's a new order coming. There's a new sheriff in town. And really it was him. Um, and by the way, I was quoting from Hebrews where it talked about all the temple and the sacrifices say that through Jesus and through his shed blood on the cross, he has provided a new and living way into the presence of God. All you need is Jesus. Can we all say together, all I need is Jesus? All I need is Jesus. By the way, that is so true. That is so true. All I need is Jesus. So the temple, this is what angered Jesus. It had become a barrier to true worship. It had become a barrier to authentic spirituality. Um, and sometimes it marginalized some people, made some people feel like second-class citizens. It's not that the priests and stuff, they were mean to people, but they just, 
I went to a church once as a visitor. Colleen wasn't with me. I was on a vacation, and I walked into a church here in the city, and not one person said hi to me. I don't think they meant it. But often, if you come as a single, you're more likely to be ignored. And I experienced it. And I wasn't really that offended, but it hurt me from the vantage point of what's going on in the church that we're that careless. And it was kind of like that. And so Jesus is declaring that the days of temple worship and all that are over. Um, and so he overturns the tables. He's driving people out. And he's declaring basically this. The title of my sermon is No More Walls. That the walls that excluded people from God's blessing would eventually be brought down. And you don't have to go to a place. You don't have to go to a piece of geography to meet God. It's okay if you do this. I went to the altar this morning to pray for somebody. But if that altar wasn't there, would God hear my prayer any less? It's okay if you make little sacred spaces for yourself physically. That, that's fine. But don't make more of it than, than you should. Um, and so this is what it says in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. It talks about Jesus. He himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one. Who are the two groups that were divided that he made into one? You know what they were? You know what they were? It wasn't Republicans and Democrats, okay? Uh, the two groups that he made into one were the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews and non-Jews. And, and he said... And this is what it says. He makes the two of us one because the temple really was for Jews and people who chose to become Jewish, you know, and, and, and follow the Jewish customs. And he said, this, look it. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and he's made peace, and he reconciles these people, and he brings them together before God in one body. Wow. I love that passage. So the fig tree was withered from the roots the next day, and he said the temple is going to suffer the same fate. And then Jesus does this. Look at verses 22 to 25. Jesus says, so they're a little confused, I think, the disciples. He says, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, and he might have been pointed to the, the temple mount, because it was up there, and he might have been referring to the temple. He said, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but you believe, then it'll be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you received it and it will be yours. What he's saying is, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you go to a priest. It doesn't matter if you go to the confessional and there's a curtain between you and the priest. And No, he said, whatever you ask, you go to God in prayer. He is there. When you come in faith, he is there. He will hear you if you come before him humbly and in faith. That's what he's saying there. It's not about the temple. And when you stand praying, he says, verse 25, if you hold anything against anyone, what should you do if you hold something against anyone? If you're mad at them, if you're offended, what do you do? Yeah. Forgive. Forgive them. Forgive them. So that your Father in heaven will forgive you. There's a condition. Why should you forgive others? Well, here's a good reason. Because then God will forgive you. You say, what? Yeah, your forgiveness depends on you. From God depends on you forgiving others. And so he's saying, it's that simple, folks. He's saying, it's that simple. It's not about religion here. It's not about rules. It's not about tradition. It's not about place, geography, furniture, 
So the day is coming, he said, when the temple will no longer be God's address. That's not going to, you know, where's your church? Hey, scattered all over the city. There's a new order. So here's the point. Here's what we have to know. Jesus was the reality to which the temple pointed. The temple and the sacrifices pointed to Jesus, the coming Messiah. When Jesus was on earth, it said that he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He was the temple of God. And then he says, you now, because you have my spirit, you, Terry Mahar, is a temple. He's a temple. Madison, you're a temple. Dave Novak is a temple. But we collectively are a temple of God. We don't need a building. We now, through Jesus and through his shed blood on the cross, we now have open, unrestricted access before God. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're black, brown, white, green. It, 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 it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You come before him in faith, humbly, like a little child. He will hear you. So where is God's temple today? Well, everywhere <laughs> his people are gathered. So look at this, Ephesians chapter 2 again, verse 19. Consequently, and he's saying to Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. He could say this to women. You're not foreigners or strangers because you're not a man. But you're fellow citizens with God's people. Members of his household. And, and he goes on, and then he says in verse 21, in him, in Christ, the whole building, us, us, we as are God's building, we are joined together and we rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. We rise to be a holy temple of the Lord. We are God's dwelling place. We are his temple. Look at these images here. Look at these. Um, that is not the temple. Look at another one here. These are ornate buildings. That's not a temple. Well, I mean, it kind of is, but that, that's the Sistine Chapel. Um, I had the opportunity to be there, and we looked up at the ceiling where Michelangelo painted. But that's really not the temple. Here's the temple right here. Here's the temple. There. And this one. Wow. And this one. That's the temple. That's the temple of God. We are God's temple. So, let me just end with this. And I, You know what I'm going to do? I just want us to pray, and we're going to make this the benediction of the service. Um, I just want us to bow our heads and I, I just want us to take something away from this today first of all going to church I got this joke from my sister the other day going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car so we need to know that so we shouldn't deceive ourselves just because we go to church or we go to Bible study or hang out with Christian people or get a degree from college, Bible college. That's a good thing. Those are all good things, but that doesn't make us Christian. We shouldn't become overly enamored with architecture and church structure and furniture. We should be enamored of God's people and our relationships of love with one another and our obedience to our God. We need to be inclusive Unfortunately, the Jerusalem temple, Herod's temple, uh, it, it, in many ways, it, it, it erected walls. I don't know that they meant to do that, but some people just didn't feel as welcome. They felt like they were second class. And it was restricted to time and space. So how, how would things be different if we 
would understand what Jesus was doing about and telling us about that there's no, it's not about the buildings, it's not about the property, it's not about the traditions. It, it's about us. What difference would it make? Well, we would know that we were his temple. And that would make a huge difference because you know what? That means that tomorrow morning when you get out of bed and you go to work or you go to the grocery store or whatever you do, uh, you're going to be more mindful of your words and actions because you're going to go, you know, I'm God's temple. And, and I carry his spirit with me. God is present with me. I'm going to be a Christian 24-7. I'm just, it's not just about Sunday. And you know what? As God's temple, uh, it means that we're life-giving. The spirit of God, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, dwells in us. God, would you just pray this just in your own way? God, use me to heal divisions. Use me to bring people together, not to divide them. Revelation chapter 22 verse 2 says this, and it has this vision on in, in the coming age. In the new heavens and the new earth, it talks about the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, there's trees, the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And that's just really like a vision of what's to come in the coming age. But he's saying right now that's to be us. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, out of him, out of her will flow streams of living water. And by this he meant the spirit. That's what he meant. And that out of us will flow streams of water. Not to be contained within us, but to flow out to others, to be life-giving people. And so the difference that would make in our community is that people would see us as a safe place, as an inviting community. The church would be the most multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual, gender-inclusive place on earth. Everyone would be welcome here. Unchurched people would feel drawn here. So would you pray this in closing? Lord, here and now, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. It's not the sacrifices I bring so much as I myself am the sacrifice. And I am your temple. I am your house. And we together are your house. Holy Spirit, may you dwell in me. May you live in me. May you live through me. Here and now, Lord, help me to break down walls and barriers between us and others out there and to build bridges. Help me to be that kind of person, Lord. As we're praying, if, if, can you just think of anybody right now where there's a wall between you and them? How would you build a bridge to that person? Would you do that this week? Will you say, Lord, I commit today to be a Christian 24-7. When I leave this place, I know that I carry about in me, because I am your temple, I carry the Spirit of God with me everywhere I go. I am your temple. Thank you that you've given me 
and all who call upon your name in faith unrestricted access into your presence. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen.